Thank you, Barbara. It definitely sounds like your spiritual path is evolving. Um, and about evolution, by the way, we are celebrating Darwin's 200th anniversary here, and we began to celebrate it yesterday as we hosted about 150 to 160 atheists and humanists in several very interesting lectures and question and answer sessions over in the social hall. And we continue with today's theme. Now, uh, my wife, Lori, uh, told me that she saw a bumper sticker the other day. Can I teach evolution in your church? I would say the answer is yes. So I begin my reflections. Some think that evolution is a sort of intelligent plan, a force that molds and shapes and directs life toward a goal, predetermined, kind of like God. But the force behind evolution is more like rain on the ground. It comes in episodes, in places, and changes the land. It can flood a lowland and form a lake. It can erode a channel downhill, which is followed by every subsequent rain, to form a steep canyon. Or it can moisten the ground and nurture plants, which then build roots and protect the ground from erosion. And when the climate changes, or a volcano erupts, or new animals come to trample and graze, a new hand is dealt. There is no plan, only outcomes. There is no destiny. Every species eventually goes extinct. Some think survival of the fittest means that only the strongest, fastest, boldest individuals will survive. But that can't be because every individual dies. It's the fittest process that survives. It's not about you surviving, it's about your grandchildren thriving. Success means bringing your genes forward. Strategies have included being prolific or protective. So what's our strategic process? We don't have millions of offspring, we don't have fangs or claws, we can't outrun or fly away, we're not poisonous or armored, we're not camouflaged or tiny, or hidden? What do we have? The typical answers, big brains. We like to pat ourselves about that. Upright posture, opposable thumbs, language. But is there more? Our opposable thumbs enable us to create tools. Our upright posture frees us to carry those tools, food, water and children. What about those brains and what about those children? The brains exact a huge metabolic burden, demanding a diet rich in nutrients. And they're hard to pass through a birth canal narrowed by our upright posture. In fact, big brains plus upright posture pushed us into a corner. To quote the curse from Genesis for eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. With pain, you will give birth to children. As our brains grew, women could no longer bring fetuses to full term. Either the mother or the baby 
would die. This wasn't working. And so selection favored women who gave birth to premature babies, those with soft skulls and undeveloped brains unable to feed themselves. Those helpless babies could not, like wildebeest, run with the herd an hour after birth. They take years of care and support from a whole community, conferring on mothers and grandmothers a special place. So why not give up on those brains? After all, the entire history of the planet, all life had gotten along fine without even a rudimentary sense of self-awareness. Because those brains gave us the ability to make tools and share knowledge. But without a concept of the future, social bonds and altruism, the desire to work together, we could not raise those helpless children, teach crafts, create art, develop agriculture, build cities, pass on culture. Vision, bonds, altruism. Or in Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. Does this altruism require a large brain? No, only oxytocin. Luckily, we have that too. It all works together. Well, sometime around 50,000 years ago, we were blessed with a miraculous capacity for language. Capacity for language. About that time, we were also blessed with a mysterious capacity for spiritual. Awareness. But their young capacities, imperfectly formed and integrated, we share an innate capacity of language among all humans, but speak a babel of evolving languages that create riddles and jokes, conundrums and mistrust, along with poetry, inspiration, and technology. One small example of just how much trouble you can get into with language, by the way. Which is better? Eternal happiness or a ham sandwich? Well, nothing is better than eternal happiness, and a ham sandwich is better than nothing. But are we to give up on the word? Oh, well, capitalize the word at your peril. And we share an innate capacity for spiritual awareness but practice a bewildering array of religions that create questions and contradictions, dilemmas and quandaries, along with compassion and enlightenment. But are we to give up on spirituality? We were fruitful and multiplied. Our seed numbered as the stars. Our brains got so big, we got bored and filled them with stories and rituals and art and imaginings. Our language confined our thoughts into linear expositions of cause and effect, into structures of subject-verb-object, into separate categories of self and other, past and future, us and them, beautiful and ugly, physical and spiritual, good and evil. So now it got complicated. Living through stories, we require answers to the meaning of life perhaps something more satisfying than 42. We pass on culture based on stories, imagining that we are the crown of creation, the very reason for a universe created for us, 
not so much for them. Acutely aware of our own existence, we can't envision non-existence. But observing death everywhere, we can't escape its reality. And so we conceive a surviving soul, whether in heaven or through reincarnation. We have a natural tendency toward religion. Humans have a spiritual capacity as unique and innate as language. And just as truths can be expressed in many languages, if only partially, so truth can be expressed in many religions, if only partially. Religion itself evolved. At first, we projected human behavior into nearby objects. The god of the bramble bush scratched me. Later, the gods morphed into qualities, the god of war, the god of fertility. Eventually, we consolidated our concepts of the supernatural into one god with all the qualities we felt or observed but could not control. Jealousy, revenge, judgment, power, love, righteousness. A psychologist might call this projection and ask us to take responsibility. Well, then came Jesus, connecting and integrating the concept of human and divine, an embodiment of love, forgiveness, and compassion, surpassing understanding. Well, if science is a story we tell to find an acceptable order that makes sense to our human brains for the way the universe works, then religions are stories we tell to make meaning to our spirit of the way our lives work. Science works, so does religion. But what works is provisional and temporary in a world where those reins constantly shift. To learn, we must admit we don't know. Agnosia. Agnosticism grows out of the evolution of logic and philosophy and is a natural growth phase in spirit. Reclaiming our spirituality from various projections and owning our capacity and responsibility. A dedicated and honest seeker of ultimate truth will explore her burgeoning spiritual capacity, question and move past rigid credos, including a purely mechanical materialism and limiting language structures and philosophical conundrums. Enlightenment is always just over well, a few hundred thousand years ago, our brains stopped their explosive growth, penned in by our upright posture. We had reached an impasse. Then, as the Ice Ages ended, we moved out of Africa. Not blessed with venom or scales, we developed spears, shields, and missiles. Without fangs or claws, we developed stockyards and plows. Without flight, we created airplanes. Without strength or speed, we created steel or gasoline. And now we are in another corner. You know, we've got a lot of gall to call the dinosaurs failures. They dominated the Earth for 200 million years. 
If we give their time on Earth a worth of $100, we've been around in our present form for about two bits and thriving for half a penny. They were done in by an asteroid. They didn't see it coming. We know what happened to them. We can see ours coming. Numbering seven billion and growing, favoring a meat-based diet, depending upon dwindling and polluting fossil fuels, living far from freshwater sources, counting on steady weather over distant industrial farms, building our cities next to rising oceans, in uneasy coexistence with other nations, races, and religions, and possessing chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. We are primed for extinction. We need to find a new way or get out of the way for whatever comes next. Our ability to see the future, our ability to tell compelling stories, our sense of self-preservation and altruism, our inventiveness and flexibility, our desire to work together, all give me hope that we can widen our window. As Unitarian Universalists, our religion calls us to affirm and promote, you all have this in your order of service, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. So we are to seek solutions with our eyes open. The right of conscience and the use of the democratic process, we are to influence our leaders through our moral force. The inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. So we are to find ways to work together to create a better world for all humans and not just humans. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Our solutions must be sustainable and should reflect planetary stewardship. We have inherited a universe rich with possibility. A mild star, a watery planet, a life process culminating in eyes, hands, and brains a brain from which emerged awareness with awe and wonder and gratitude for the entire grand sweep, a sense of compassion for the least among us, and the knowledge, power, and will to either destroy it all or make it even better. It's up to us.
Today we join 592 congregations around the country to celebrate Evolution Weekend, which is an initiative of the Chicago-based Clergy Letter Project and came into being in 2009 to mark the 200th birth anniversary of Charles Darwin. Evolution Weekend is an opportunity for serious discussion and reflection on the relationship between religion and science. An ongoing goal of this project has been to elevate the quality of the discussion on this critical topic and to show that religion and science are not at cross purposes with each other. Rather, they look at the natural world from quite different perspectives and ask and answer different questions. I think Ray's reflections this morning provided us with a, a wonderful exposition of how that can unfold. Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection, which he introduced in The Origin of Species in 1859, almost two decades after he wrote out all his observations, provides us with a fundamental framework for understanding the relationship of all Darwin's theory has revolutionized our understanding of ourselves, our relationship to the natural world, and our sense of God and spirituality. Thanks to Darwin, we know that all living things have evolved over hundreds of millions of years from single-cell organisms that emerged in some kind of a primal soup and learned to replicate themselves. We know that humans are as much a part of nature as elephants and mosquitoes, with a family tree stretching back across billions of years to the dawn of life. So what are some of the spiritual lessons that we can draw from Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection? Well, Darwin's blew away the idea that human beings are created in the image of God. It showed us that our unique abilities of consciousness and reason and speech are because of evolution rather than gifts bestowed upon us by a divine creator. So the first lesson of spiritual, uh, the first spiritual lesson of evolution is that we are not that special. We are not that special. We are, so far as we know, the most highly evolved animal that natural selection has produced thus far, endowed with inherent worth and dignity, the ability to create, be it melodious music or great art or inspiring literature or magnificent architecture, and also the capacity to love do justice and to show mercy. The American philosopher Ken Wilber wrote, both humans and rocks are equally spirit, but only humans can consciously realize that fact, and between the rock and human lies evolution. We are not special. This radically naturalizes our self-understanding and our understanding of the world in which we live, move, and have our being, and hopefully
Darwin's theory, while it does not specifically reject God, does reject the notion that there is an intelligent, creative mind, a clockmaker God behind everything that happens. That is, Darwin's theory rejects teleology, the idea that there is a given meaning and end to our existence. Now, evolutionary theory makes it harder for us to think of God as a supernatural deity who is omnipotent and omniscient, and who brought all beings into existence and somehow monitors our each and every movement, a celestial keeping calm. Instead, it helps us perceive God, if indeed one feels the need, as the creative power within the natural God and the world are interdependent. And God's relation to the world is one of persuasive love than coercive power. Which leads me to the third spiritual lesson, which is that we're not mere puppets being buffeted back and forth in some divine comedy, a cosmic drama by a capricious and vengeful puppet master God. Instead, we are free agents who are co-creators of the future, which is largely unknown. And our creativity and intelligence can serve as tools to shape the future towards the good. Now, if you have ever wondered where we derive as religious liberals our conviction that humans would always progress upward and onward forever, or the perfectibility of the human condition, historically, it has come from our embrace of the theory of evolution. In 1902, for example, Unitarian minister Jabez Sunderland published a book, The Spark in the Clock, in which he argued for the evolutionary development of life rather than a wretched fall from perfection. He put it this way, no, it is not a fallen world that we are in, but a rising one. Eden is not behind, but before. Man's great day is coming, not past. There has been no wreck of God's great plan of things, but a steady carrying forward of all the acts of the sublime drama from the beginning until now. And what has been is a pledge of what will be. The last spiritual gift that we have received from Darwin's theory is a nature-centered natural spirituality. Because what it has done is shift our focus away from the supernatural to nature centered. Many religious liberals feel nature's beauty to be a source of moral vigor and spiritual refreshment. I mean, 
just to look at an ostrich or a dolphin and try to imagine how it came to be and how it acquired its marvelous ability is enough to fill one's mind with astonishment and awe and wonder. Our connection to nature is a profoundly spiritual experience that does Every religion needs a story. And Darwin's idea has given us a trusted and trustworthy creation story. Born out of mountains of objective evidence and experimentation and filled with multiple layers of meaning. That story, the great epic of cosmic and natural and biological evolution is a religious story because it calls us out of our little self-centered world to see ourselves as part of a great living system that has been here long, long before we ever came into existence and will continue to be here long, long after we're done. This story gives a larger meaning and a broader Darwin wrote at the end of The Origin of Species, there is a grandeur in this view of life with its several problems. Having been originally bequeathed by the Creator into a few forms or one, and that whilst this planet has gone by according to the fixed law of gravity from so singular a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wondrous have been and are being evolved. Certainly without Darwin, Unitarian Universalism would be different from what it is today. As a religious movement committed to a meaningful search for truth in our lives, we, Unitarian Universalists, cannot help but embrace that tremendous increase in knowledge and made possible both by Darwin's revolutionary idea and the subsequent efforts of evolutionary biologists. So let me conclude with these words from Oliver Wendell Holmes. Why is there everywhere such a profound interest in evolution, he writes? Because it removes the traditional curse from the helpless infant lying in its mother's arms. Because it removes from humankind responsibility for the fact of death because it makes impossible any longer the taunt to woman that she brought down on herself the pangs that make her sex a martyrdom, because by making development upward the general law of the race, it fills humanity's future with hope. So let us honor Darwin's memory and commit ourselves to being active agents in the evolution of life that we may embody the spirit of life realize that hope. So be it. Each Sunday, I feel like a Darwin evangelist. Filled with the spirit of Darwin. Can I get an amen? All right. No, 
evangelist. Come on. If we can't be the evangelist for this, our creation story, who else is going to be? Right? So, let's make sure evolution is taught in our classrooms and in our Sunday schools. With that, I'd like to welcome Hannah Crone as we prepare to receive and give our offering to sustain the work and ministry of this, our religious community. Today is Share the Plate Sunday. We're sharing 